Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 220 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. 220 TNC for the week of May 9th. Today we're going to have special guest WBO 150-pound champion Jamel Semperfy Herring on the show. Uh, my former Marine Devil Dog, that's what we call each other. I'm excited to have him on. That's going to be awesome. And uh, we actually have a little bit of news to talk about this week, believe it or not. Have not had much news to talk about, obviously, in uh, the quarantine life, but we have a few things going on this week. So before I get into that, guys, just a quick reminder, make sure if you're watching live on YouTube, go ahead and hit the thumbs up. And if you're listening on Spreaker, make sure you're following us there and you're spreading the word on uh, Spreaker and everywhere else that we are featured on social media. Okay. So let's talk about Mike Tyson destroying the internet. Just absolutely obliterated the internet this week, last week, with a, I believe it was a six-punch combination on the mitts. The clip was five or six seconds, and uh, it was insane just to see Mike Tyson throw a couple left hooks, a crazy overhand right, you know, a right cross that sent his, his homie almost flying through the wall, and holy shit, that just destroyed the internet. Crazy, Right? Dude's 53 years old. Oh, real quick, I got to look. Gail here, Gail Falketh on the chat says, oh my God, on my YouTube feed, YouTube feed, the first display ad headline is, date Asian women near you, OMG, haha. <laughs> Gail, I don't know. I don't know where the hell that came from. That's not any hashtag or anything that I put in this damn video. Somebody out there must have commented on uh, Tiffany or something. I don't know. That's hilarious. Where the hell would that come from? Why would they put that ad on my video, date just because my fiance is Asian. Damn it, Google! Google is racist. I'm going to call the HR police, the PC police, right now. This is not right. Anyway, yeah. So Mike Tyson, 53 years old. Uh, the last time Mike Tyson fought was uh, hell. You probably got to go back 15 years or something like that. At least over 10 years. And uh, last time he fought, he got not just beat by a journeyman level fighter, but pretty much. Dominated. I don't know if he won a round of that fight against um, Kevin McBride. That's who I was trying to think. I couldn't remember the name. Kevin McBride. And uh, so people need to keep that in perspective, okay? But at the same time, do I think Mike Tyson is going to come back and do anything? No, he's 53. Come on, people. Get real. However, it shows the guy's star power. And I've argued this for years. I think that Mike Tyson, people talk about, Muhammad Ali being the biggest figure in the history of boxing. I agree with that, obviously. I think he was the biggest political figure and one of the most popular, most famous human beings of all time, right? You can absolutely, I mean, there's really no argument. I was going to say you can argue that point, but there is no argument. However, you can make an argument. I'm not necessarily saying I agree or disagree, but you can absolutely make an argument that Mike Tyson is the biggest, in terms of being the biggest sports icon, not political figure, but sports icon, sporting brand. Mike Tyson might be the biggest name in the history of boxing. Guys, it is well over 20 years since this guy was anywhere near his peak, his prime. And he's 53 years old in a six-punch combination. And whatever, I don't know if it was five, six punches, whatever. I think it was six punches. It was like a five-second clip of him just hitting some mitts. A couple body shots, a couple shots up top. Destroys the internet. Now... We are in the middle of quarantine, and people are absolutely starved 
for anything sports related. So I do think that is definitely playing a factor in it. But it just shows how big of a name this guy is. And a lot of you, a lot of you younger guys who weren't around during Tyson's, you know, prime years. And I was just a little, I was just a kid when he was in his, you know, prime years. You're talking late 80s up through the early mid 90s. I was a teenager by then. But I'd say in the in the late 80s, he was the most famous athlete in the world. Everyone's going to say, no, 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 it was Michael Jordan. Look, Michael Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan until the early 90s, and really not until that 92 dream team. A lot of you younger guys, again, like you think the NBA is this big global brand. It really wasn't until after that 92 dream team. That's when the globalization of the NBA started, and it bought into China and everything. But, man, before that, late 80s, it was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Those were the two, like, big, big names. But above them, it was Mike Tyson. He was the biggest brand, not just in boxing, but in sports. And then he became one of the most polarizing figures because, you know, the feminist hated him, the whole thing. You know, he went to jail. He says he didn't do it with, with the woman. And I'm not going to get into all that. But he was a very, very polarizing figure at that point. Then he converted to Islam, and, there was, and then the Christian conservatives didn't like him, and there was all this stuff, right? And it's kind of come full circle, and now he's America's happy grandpa. Everyone looks at Mike Tyson as like this sweet, happy grandpa. The dude has had a cartoon. He's been in all these movies. He had a one-man show. And at 53 years old, he can post a five-second clip throwing a six-punch combination on the mitts, and it destroys the internet. Mike Tyson is still a massive brand in the sport of boxing. And I would make the argument, he, he's one of the most popular sports figures still living on the earth. I mean, he's certainly the most well-known boxer. He's more well-known than Floyd Mayweather and, and Manny Pacquiao. And you guys also got to think, you know, he fought overseas. Now, he lost overseas, but he was fighting over in Japan. And he was a known brand, like, way over on that side of the world. And again, I'll go back to, like, Michael Jordan. That didn't, you know, that, the NBA did not get big over in that part of the world until after that dream team. So, anyway, uh, huge, huge uh, you know, brand with Tyson. And the fact that at 53, he could blow up the internet with a uh, five-second clip that's just crazy to me it does also show though that people are starving really really starving for any kind of sports any kind of boxing speaking of tyson's let's stay with tyson's let's go from mike tyson to tyson fury so uh there was a story put out on espn i believe it was by my boy steve kim over there the senior reporter over at espn boxing who said uh he's had a few pieces with tyson fury he spent some time chatting with him and tyson said that now he's gonna fight till he's 40 and I think he's like 32 or something. It wasn't that long ago where Tyson Fury said he was only going to fight one or two more times, right? And then it wasn't that long ago where all systems go for the third fight with Wilder. Now there's talks that maybe Wilder would take step-aside money and Fury is going to go right into a fight with Anthony Joshua. Guys, I think all this is complete speculation and all of you need to slow way the hell down and remember what I've been telling you, the plans that these promoters and these platforms and the sanctioning organizations, who are basically their partners in crime, all make together are mapped out 12 to 24 months down the line. And just because we had a global pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people have died doesn't mean they're going to change those plans. I think it's still going to be 
pretty much the same plans that they had before. It's just going to be put on hold and delayed a little bit. I think you're still going to get the same build. Again, I'll, I'll go back to PBC. Errol Spence is going to fight Danny Garcia before he fights Manny Pacquiao. And you're probably going to get Tyson Fury fighting Deontay More than likely going to get him fighting Deontay Wilder a third time because there's a contract, okay, before anything happens between him and Anthony Joshua. That's my opinion. That's just the way it happens in boxing. These guys have a plan, and they're going to stick to it. So Tyson Fury says all kinds of stuff. And I get it. The last time he told us something, he, he meant it. When he told us what he was going to do with Deontay Wilder and everything, he wasn't joking. He wasn't just talking shit. But that was about him in the ring fighting. Everything he says outside the ring, I still think the dude's trolling 90% of the time. It's part of what makes him so such fun. It's such a, um, a, a big character in the sport of boxing. You know what I'm saying? So do I think he's going to fight till he's 40? Nah, I don't think so. Do I think he's only going to fight once or twice more? Nah, I don't think so. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle of those two things. That's what I think with Tyson Fury. What else this week? Oh, there's talks of Floyd Mayweather versus Adrian Broner, because that's going to happen. Look, Floyd was hasn't gotten attention for a while. Adrian Broner hasn't gotten attention for a while. So these talks circulate. Do any of you really think Floyd Mayweather would come out of retirement and fight Adrian Broner? He could. He could do it and make really, really good money. But he could make a lot more money doing a rematch with Conor McGregor. I know, it sounds crazy, right? But he could. And the MMA fans would buy that shit again. Trust me, they would. They'd change some little nuance. they change the weight or the size of the gloves or something like that, right? So I'm just telling you guys, why would he come back and fight Adrian Broner, who's not, in terms of branding, is a pimple on Conor McGregor's ass, is a pimple on Manny Pacquiao's ass. He could come back and do a rematch with Pacquiao. So I just, why would you do that? That'd be a downgrade from his last fight against um, Andre Berto, the other AB. I just, I, I don't see that happening either. So, but you know, hey, all these little rumors and speculation are popping up because again, people are starved for information right now. Again, the uh, Deontay Wilder, is he going to take step aside money so we could get Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua? Think about this. Not only would that require Deontay Wilder, who's hungry to get that loss back. Okay, Deontay's a prideful guy. He doesn't want to sit on the sidelines. He just made tens of millions of dollars. You think a couple million dollars to sit on the sidelines is going to make him happy? He's already made all that money. He doesn't give a shit about that. He wants to get back in there a third time with Fury. But even if, even if Deontay said, all right, cool, I'll take a few million bucks to sit on the sidelines for an extra six months or whatever, let you two fight. I'm contractually obligated to fight the winner. Think about this. It would, it would require everyone at PBC and everyone at Top Rank, everyone at Fox slash Showtime slash ESPN slash Disney and DAZN and Matchroom and Team Joshua doing what's right for the fans and for boxing and all the sanctioning organizations signing on for this and doing what's best for you guys. Do you think they're going to do that? Do you think they're going to do that for you? Get the fuck out of here. Guys, we're going to get the third fight between Wilder and Fury. And, you know, I thought, again, the target date was October. It really does depend on how fast or slow 
this recovery is as we all start to reopen, you know, at different states at different rates, reopen and get back to work and all that. But they need a big gate for that fight. And they need a, they wanted to do with PBC and ESPN, they want to do a pay-per-view hopefully in September so they can kind of test the waters and see how it sells, at least do a card in Vegas and see how it sells as kind of like a market tester before they do that Wilder Fury fight. Cause they don't want to go into that with overpriced tickets and only half the people show up, you know, the place is half empty. They, they can't have that happen. They need a huge, huge gate for that. So it's looking more and more likely, like, again, we're going to get boxing back this summer. That will happen, ladies and gentlemen. We will get boxing back this summer in some form or fashion. But big fights like that Wilder, Fury, uh, third fight, I, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. I just don't. It, it, it sucks. But I'm starting to wonder if we're going to get any big pay-per-view like that where they need, they depend on that big live gate. It's not that the pay-per-view won't sell. If Wilder and Fury fight again, that pay-per-view is going to sell. The last one sold very well. It's that you got to have that live gate, man. That was a significant part of the revenue. And even for a Lomachenko-Lopez fight or something like that, big part of the revenue is the ticket sales. Got to have it. So, all right, I think our guest is on the line. Let's go over here to uh, to the phone lines. I see a few of you guys on hold waiting. Uh, call back. Give me about... Uh, minutes or so and call back unless uh if you do have a question for mr herring for the champ then um go ahead and stay on the line and we'll get you in we'll just uh we'll introduce him here we make sure that we got him on the line mr jamel semperfy herring is that you sir can you hear me yes yes sir <laughs> how's, it, how's it going it's going well my man how are you everything's going good i can't complain can't complain well i was gonna uh you know Talk. Uh, usually, everyone on the show, the first thing I ask is about the COVID situation. Now, I know with you, right. you and Jennifer, I mean, you pretty much got a house full of estrogen for the most part. You got, oh, yes. Just about um, literally, literally 20 minutes ago, I came home um, from the pet store. I bought my six-year-old daughter two um, parakeet birds. And long story short, I spent most of the time chasing two birds around with an um, oven mitt. <laughs> He's trying to get them to get back in the cage. So, yeah, I definitely got my um, my little workout in for the, yeah, that's for, for the cardio for the day. <laughs> yeah, but man, I couldn't even tell you what a parakeet looks like. I couldn't even tell you what a parakeet looks like. Yeah, what, what kind, is that like a parrot? I have no idea. It's, basically, it's like the color of a parrot, but it's like small, like birds that basically fit in your hand. So, just imagine trying to chase small little birds around the house. You know, we're trying to get them back in the cage. So yeah, um, <laughs> that was interesting. But my my daughter was overjoyed and pleased to have finally her um her, her pet birds that she's been asking for months for. That's cool. Is that your only pets, or do you have others? No, that's the only ones. But um, she wants okay. dogs next, and I, I I can deal with a dog. But I, I like that that takes like you know. I mean, if she wants a dog, I have to you know she has to really pick up her responsibility. So I I'll wait no, her but- out on the, on the dog. You're doing it right because she could practice with the birds because the dogs exactly. more. But but will a dog and a bird get along? That would scare me. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she have a little routine. You know, she's very she's she all like even with her dolls. She always gives me a list of rules of what to do in terms of taking care of her dolls. But um, Dad, you're not paying attention. You gotta look over here. So yeah, my, she she's on it. That's cool. I know uh, your kids. Actually, do they read all of the articles about you? 
I know that you told me we talked last year, I think it was for that piece we did in ring. And you told me about how, you know, if I get the shout outs in there in the article, I need to make sure I spell the names right and include everybody or they'll get mad. Do they oh, read yeah. everything about you or just is it selective? I, I, I know my um, my, my sons, they, they catch on things, you know, through Google. But my uh, my oldest daughter, she definitely is the one that um does her research and she even like made complaints with Wikipedia that they spelled her name wrong or something like that. So. Right. They're definitely in tune to what I do. But the funny part is my daughter, she'll she'll check for that. But she doesn't like coming to the fight. She doesn't like coming to see me fight live ever because she doesn't like to um she doesn't like to see me get hit. So she um for the most part, like and she like her friends at school, anybody know I fight, like she'll probably get the news um from the friends before I even get the news to her about the fight. That's the crazy part. What about Jennifer? Will she go to the fight? Yeah, she definitely goes to the fights. Um, okay. She's definitely, she definitely um at the fights. Um, top rank know Jennifer very well. Um, they actually, they actually give Jennifer more respect than they give me at times. I, I, and I'm not lying. <laughs> like when they see Jennifer, they see me. They, they always make sure to greet her and make sure she's comfortable and has everything, you know. And here I am, the champion. And they're like, oh, hey, Jamel. That's smart, though, man. If they make her happy, then you're gonna yeah, be happy. happy so that, that's life, a smart man. strategy. <laughs> Hey, man, the thing is, Grandpa Bob's been doing this shit for a long time, so he probably learned a long right. time ago, make the wife's happy, and everything will fall in the line. You know, I'm oh, just looking here on the, uh, on the YouTube chat, Gail Falkenthal says that, uh, where is that comment? She says her sister has a huge German shepherd and a few small parrots. The parrots terrorize the dog and chase it all over the house. <laughs> Holy shit. I can believe it. I can believe it. Dude, I you're in for it. some craziness. If you get a dog with those parakeets, good luck with that, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we have some questions here from a few fans. Um, Chris Bergen on Facebook asks, and you're probably getting a lot of questions about this, but is the Carl Frampton fight a done deal? And where does where do you see the fight taking place? Also, he asks, how difficult is it for you to make 130 pounds now that you're in your 30s? Oh, okay. Uh, that's, that's a good question. Good question. Um. Let me start off by saying that the, the, the Frampton fight is actually not a done deal, and it's not because of any um, it's not because either side is is holding back or or, or demanding anything. Because truth be told, me and Carl are, are both in the same accord. The fight is just not a done deal because when the whole COVID nineteen situation hit, we couldn't formally make the contract because we couldn't formally put down a date and a location due to the virus. You know, so um. Like me and Carl, we definitely want to fight. Um, it's crazy now that because he's over there on and uh, across the pond, and I'm here in the state. That because of that, it, it now it may be a little bit difficult to even to even for us to go either to either location because you know the, the borders are basically shut on on our end, and, and things are basically going through a similar situation over there in Ireland and, and the UK. And so, and, and another thing was that June was the set time for the fight because of the weather, because, you know, the weather gets really cold at certain, you know, at certain times of the, um, the year. So with that happening, anything basically past June, the fight may have to come down to the state. So if the fight comes to the states and hopefully when we do get, because I was listening in, you know, when, like I'm in the same situation with like the, um, the fury in the wild. Um, I spoke to carbon ready at top rank maybe two weeks ago. And I was told personally that, that fight won't happen unless there's a crowd involved. Right. So that's 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 another, that's another thing that's basically holding it up. Until we're, boxing is allowed to have you know the general public attend, 
that type of fight won't take place until then. So that's why when you see me on social media, that's why I was actually, um, you know, sanctioning and, and, and like, you know, um, trying to at least, you know, get back into the mix thing, even if it's just take a tune-up fight before the pepper fight, even if and, and there's no crowd, just to keep the rust off. Because like 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 he mentioned, I am in my 30s, so I don't want to, you know, I can't afford to have that much rust, you know, ring too much ring rust on me. And to answer the second question about the weight, um, I actually don't have it. You know, I, I've been blessed. My, I still have my high metabolism, thank God. But but on the flip side, I have a nutritionist, and she does everything right. by the book, and like she calculates my weight every morning and every and from there I weigh myself in the morning she knows exactly what I need to eat and what I need to what I need to do in order to you know to get the weight down at one thirty. Because if you look at the you know go to boxer whatever you look at my test um my weighing fight my weighing weight you know I actually come I actually been coming in under the weight limit. You know I've been coming in like one twenty nine and a half, one twenty nine point eight my last fight. So the weight, you know, and, and I think uh, for the when I fought Edo for the title, I actually ate breakfast the morning of the weigh in and then I got the weight, you know, and then I got the weight off because she needed, you know, in order to lose weight, you need energy. So she gave me a little bit of breakfast to eat. I drank, I drank orange juice and everything. Then I went out to the, um, you know, to the, um, the fitness room, ran for the little 30 minutes now, and I was under 129 pounds. So I never the weight, no problem. No, because you fought yeah. in the Olympics at 140, right? And then you fought at 135 yeah, right. most of your pro career when you were with PBC. Right. Man, it's, fun, it's funny because, I like, it's funny, it's the funny part. I actually was having a harder time making, well, not too hard, but harder than I am now. I was actually, you know, doing it a little bit harder on myself to make 135 now than to make 130. That's the crazy, and that's the that's the crazy thing about having a nutrition. It's like, you know, I was actually, you know, I would come in like, you know, fight week uh, 138 or so, and then, but I then I would like basically kind of like, you know, not eat like I like I was supposed to, and I was actually making it a little harder on myself to make 135. But then like. You wouldn't believe how much how much I come in at for fight week <laughs> for fight week at um for um to make one hundred thirty. I think uh, to be honest with you, if I'm making one hundred thirty, I'm actually coming in probably at um uh, one forty the week of the fight. Man, that's the crazy part, and that's because that's because she keeps that she keeps a lot of fluid in me, a lot of fluid. Because most of the fight week is for me that's that's usually just water weight. That's about ten pounds of water weight, but I'm still eating. But I'm eating the right food for me to burn off that 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 the right amount of energy each day. Like I'm actually like fight week. I actually don't cut down the water until literally the night before the weigh-in. I probably drink half a gallon of water, and that's crazy. Half a gallon of water before the night of weigh-in, and I'm still good, and I'm still coming in at one twenty-nine or whatever. But I'm starting the week off about seriously one hundred and forty pounds the week of the fight. That's crazy <laughs> to be doing that in your thirties. <laughs> Man, yeah, so exactly. A nutritionist is worth the money, is what you're saying. And I know you oh, use yeah, the same yeah, yeah, yeah. girl that uh, that Bud Crawford uses, right? That whole camp. Yes. Um. She she works with Shakur Stevenson, Bud Crawford, Maurice Hooker. Um. She, yeah. And, and and I've heard the story. Like there's guys that that are way bigger than me. I mean, like coming down from the seventy one seventy plus down to um one, you know, one forty. But like for me, um. Like, rehearse. Like, even when I'm out in camp, I have a regimen that I'm, I'm supposed to live by each and every day. Like, my limit in between fights is 155 pounds. But I never, because because of my metabolism and everything, I, I can barely get over 150. Like, my 150, for me, is, like, my limit when I'm home. And then, like, I start, like, I start coming down. I just start coming down naturally. Like, I just start, like, my, my, my metabolism kicks in. 
and right now I'm weighing in at um like 145, and I'm just you know all I'm doing right now is is just you know just running, you know being a marine and just going out there and, and just running, so that like so but it's like when when I get to camp, it's it's so bad. It's the funny part when I go to camp, they actually lecture me because I lose weight too fast, so they make me eat more. Like she'll feed me more for me to keep the weight up. I have to keep the weight because it, it, it's like it's like a routine. Like I have to lose a certain amount each week. So if, I, if I'm too like say like if I'm two weeks out two weeks two weeks out from the fight and I'm already like 140 pounds, they make me eat more. Like no, you, you, you're too low. You got to go back up a little bit more. Uh, you need some more weight. I have to basically be like 100 and like 44 or something like that. But if I'm at uh, 140 like two weeks before the fight, that's too. I'm too low. And that's the crazy part. <laughs> that's crazy i mean you're doing it basically the opposite of how so many fighters do it where they just <laughs> yeah. move up in their 30s they can't last they can't lose that last three pounds and you're going to the camp already drained that's that's i mean not drained like physically but just your weight that's awesome man right, so yeah. basically you're and, in a position it's, it's where you're in fighting weight almost all year round which i wish more fighters oh, yeah. would be but you mentioned running, and, 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 and that's actually that's okay. actually the, the right thing that she that she tries to preach about because, like you said, um, why why make it harder yourself by going thirty pounds? So, like you spend right. most of your camp just basically trying to focus on losing weight. For me, when I go to camp, I focus, I focus on I focus on technique. I focus on getting better. Like my last fight, I didn't know because they didn't they didn't want to scare me, but they told me um when I was fighting getting ready to fight Roach. I was like, yo, I felt a little bit different. Like, why is the weight you know from now a little bit different from the last fight with Ito? And then my, my strength coach, my strength coach plays a huge part also in my nutrition. He was like, yeah, I didn't want to, like, he told me, that, like, after I weighed in, yeah, I didn't want to tell you, but you basically put around, um, put on, like, seven pounds of muscle. So that's the funny part. I'm still able to put on muscle, but yet still get the weight down to where I need to be at. And that's the funny part. Man, I need to get a nutritionist. <laughs> so you mentioned <laughs> running. Are, you're in New York, right? Are you in New York right now? No, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati. Oh, New York is, oh, okay. is like the war zone. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Okay, so because I know for a while you were training out of Cincinnati originally, and right. now you're down there in um, in Omaha, right? But so in between camps and stuff, normally you'd be in New York, or do you stay in Cincinnati sometimes? Like, how does that no? Work? I, I, I actually, you know, stay in Cincinnati. I live okay. here now, so that's okay. why. Um, like, I, I just go home. I just go home to visit at times in New York. I haven't been up there because of the virus, so I've been trying to, you know, just stay safe, keep my family safe. More importantly, but yeah. Um, even when I switched trainers to, um, you know, the guys in Omaha with Bud Crawford, I just basically stayed in Cincinnati because it, it was just it's quiet out here for me. It's it peaceful, and um, you know, when I I have two children that are um, autistic, and Cincinnati has basically the best services, uh, one of the best services in the country for children for children of need, special needs. So that's another that's mainly that's the reason why I definitely stayed in Cincinnati. It was basically, you know, not to be selfish and to take care of my family first. So. And like I'm at a, you know, I just see a point in my career where I can just get up anyway and, and go travel to where camp is. So even even now, I'm glad you even brought that up because um, I'm actually scheduled to leave Monday just to do a pre-camp, just to stay sharp and you know stay in shape even more before you know before I even start my regular camp. So I'm leaving next Monday to um, go to Omaha to go train with Bud Crawford and the rest of the guys now. That's awesome, man! All right, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. So. uh I was going to ask you, because I know Grandpa Bob has talked about putting on fights like in a sound stage, and I know Top Break has that gym out in, uh, I think, in Vegas. Do you think you guys might do something like that, where maybe for a while you kind of just do like a fight camp together, and kind of what the UFC is planning to do? Have, have, has 
Bob Arum or, or anybody at top rank spoken with you about the plans in the short term for that? Um, I actually called um, Carl Moretti about a week ago, asking him about that. Um, and basically what I was told was, you know, they're still laying down, they're still trying to lay down, um, you know, the, the, the ground, the grounding to, to get to that level. Like he's basically, they're still at um, step one. Um, okay. Especially in, in, in terms of my situation, because like I said, um, I think for that right now, for that situation that you, that you mentioned, that basically pertains to the guys that are like, you know, the prospects and the guys that are fighting maybe like 10 round fights. But in terms of the guys on the, um, the world championship level, they're trying to, they're trying to figure out how to, you know, get that going because they know they have world champions that want to get busy as well. But like you, like you were speaking earlier, but some of these world title fights, they want, you know, like you said, the gate, they want the crowd. Right. So yeah, like, um, to be honest with you, um, like someone in the camp call from call for um already. I mean, um, you know, I, I may not be able to get back into the ring until maybe about um September time frame when they're hoping to get you know things back to norm and things like that. But you know, and that, but that's the reason why I'm going to um, Omaha now. So I don't, you know, just be sitting home for me. If you look at it, I didn't fight since last November now, so I don't want to be just sitting home doing nothing. So now I'm I'm, I'm going to get up. Um, go to camp for maybe about a, um, a month and a half just to go train with the guys and just to stay loose because I, I know I want to be one step ahead of the competition when things go back in place. That's smart because I can tell you right now, most fighters are not doing that. A lot of the guys I'm talking to, oh, yeah. off the record, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say no names, but I, I talked to a few trainers over the last couple of weeks and they're like, damn, dude, these guys are just sitting on their ass eating Cheetos and shit, eating cheeseburgers. Yeah. So I, I think the guy, you'll be able to tell right away this fall, the guys who stayed in shape and the guys who didn't. A um, couple more oh, yeah, questions. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's see. Uh, John Gary Navita on Facebook asks, uh, do you think Carl Frampton's hand injuries give you an advantage in your upcoming fight? I know he had some hand injuries, but since that fight's on hold anyway, that probably doesn't really make a difference, does it? I don't – I don't – see, that's the thing. You, you just don't know because – at the same time, because from what I've been told to the grapevine, like he's kind of like holding back from hitting things mm. because of those hands. He's, he doesn't want to hit anything like the bag. If you look, you know, if you if you look at the stuff he posts, he puts out there, he's doing like you know cardio workouts, which is great, which is cool. But from what I've been told, you know, because you know, we all like you, like you said, you you, you hear things. Is boxing actually a small world? No matter where you're at, oh, yeah, it's somebody's it's a small always, world. somebody's always talking. Yep. Somebody's always told to everyone like, knows everyone's business. Exactly. Even when you're not even in the camp, you know what somebody's doing in their camp. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah. from what I've been told is that because of those injuries, he doesn't want to risk basically hitting anything hard until, you know, the fight's official where he can, you know, okay, now I can use my hands. Like basically saving his hands for a, a more of a, a, a special purpose than just to go out there and beating on bags and stuff now. And, and, and um, I think that's more, but that, I think that comes back more to a, a mental thing. Like, especially in the heat of the moment, you probably you probably find yourself holding back because you may think, well, you know, I, I messed up both my hands, not one, but two, both my hands. The last fight, maybe I need to, you know, scale it back a little bit because of, because I I don't want to risk you know hurting myself in the, in the early stages of the fight. And I think that, that and I think that, that I think any um, normal person in general will, will think that way because you just don't know. If your hands will hold, hold up, even even with surgery, you can be injured. We all seen what we all seen what. Just look at the um, like guys like um, in the NBA, 
they get surgery and then they go out there and they re-injure they, they, you know, they re-injure themselves yeah. in the same area, like, you know, a month later or so. So, like I said, every, everyone is human, so you just don't know. You, you have to take, you, know, you have to take things like that into factor. But for me, as a, um, you know, my my mentality as a, like, you know, just being a Marine, I was, I was prepared for the best. So I don't want to bank on, well, maybe, you know, his hands aren't, aren't the best, so I, I, I got to advance. No, I still have to, um, you know, still prepare for the best Carl Frampton because Carl Frampton, where I may beat Carl Frampton in, you know, the size and reach advantage, I always say Carl Frampton beats me in, in the um, experience department because he's, he's been in more um, world title fights than I have. So right. I was prepared for that Carl Frampton. I have to prepare for the Carl Frampton that, that's basically mentally strong at the end of the day. That's the right way to do it, Marine. Speaking of Marines, uh, yeah. John Uden on Twitter, he asked, uh, did the idea of holding a title defense at Camp, Leju- Camp Lejeune ever gain any traction? Do you see that as a pops- possible location in the future? I know it was being discussed, right? But that fell okay, through. Okay, right. And I'm and Mike. I'm pretty sure you can you you'll know what I'm coming from when I say this. Okay, this is what I'm getting. This is what I've got when I try to get a fight on both Lejeune and in Pendleton. Even even we even we try to go to we should even try to get the fight on Quantico as well. But this is this is this is the, this is the thing. This is the business side kicking in of the, of the of that situation. The reason why it's so difficult. What I found out and it came down from the guys at the top rank. The reason why we had a hard time getting those fights on those bases. It's because of MCCS. And MCCS usually is the one that controls all the marketing that goes on the bases. And they see that if they can't, if they can't basically make an income off the ticket sales, then you have to, you will basically have to basically, in order to have an event on any of those bases, you have to get the tickets out for free. Now, we know on the business side of things, the promoter is just not going to give out anything for free. So that was the whole... That was the whole problem with that situation. Uh, MCCS aren't allowing anyone to sell anything without their approval or without their hand in the pocket as well. And Todd Rank is just like, you know, well, that's not going to happen. So we were actually trying to have it even in, like, in terms of areas outside of the base because you're still going to draw you know, Marines there anyway. But that was the whole situation. And that's why, that's why I ended up fighting in Fresno my last fight instead of Pendleton because we were trying to get it on Pendleton. We were trying to get in on San Diego, but MCCS was just, you know, giving everyone a hard time. And then, as you know, you have to still go through the higher ups from the from the, the base general down. So, yeah, that was just a, that's just a wait, whole. Wait, wait, wait. Like so you're telling me, you're telling me that the military red tape is making shit more complicated than it needs to be. Yes. Imagine and, that. And, and, yes. <laughs> exactly. Imagine that. Exactly. And, I, and I've been, you, and you know, Mike, since day oh, yeah. one, I love it. I've, I've represented myself as a Marine. I, you know, I, I've done basically free promotion, you know, for the Marine Corps. Right. But it's like, yeah, it's like when it comes down to the, the like I said, the red tape and everything, those are the guys that either they don't return the emails, they won't return the calls. When they do, they've already passed the deadline. So, cause you know, you, you have to deal with ESPN as well. ESPN has a deadline where they, cause they have to, um, you know, assess the site where they can, okay, we need to put out the ring here, the seating here. That that that's a that, and that, that's like a three month process for the it's for a whole the site. Project but you know, sometimes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have to do it, but you know, they get the calls late or they don't get the calls returned. So and like you know, in order for the event to still go on, they gotta okay, we gotta make a quick decision. So they get they gotta place it elsewhere, and that's and that's why it got placed in Fresno instead of, instead of um, a Marine Corps base on the West Coast the last time around. Man, just if you could do it in San Diego, 
where they haven't had a big fight there. And I, I maybe not even my lifetime. I can't remember when they had a big fight in San Diego, but that way it'd be, you know, within proximity to Pendleton, that would be, that would be cool. Right. Maybe that could be worked out. It's just the California taxes. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, we got, okay. A couple oh, yeah, more questions. Uh, um, Cause I know you got, you got another thing after this, right? You got to do something for ESPN. Oh, I got time. In a few I minutes. got time. I, I put, I put to like basically, um, I got another 30 minutes before that even comes up. So I, I got okay. time for a couple more questions, Mike. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> uh, got another question from Facebook from Philippe Golimo Gonstrom. He asked, what fighters, do you want to face in the future and why? I know you and I talked about this a little bit. We talked about uh, Miguel Burchelt, uh, who I know right. you think isn't necessarily interested in fighting you. Of course, Frampton, but looking past Frampton, is it Burchelt? Is there anybody else that stands out in your mind? Um, yeah, and, like, and even going to the Burchelt situation, because uh, people get this whole thing misunderstood. They think that I just want to. I'm trying to bully or I think Burchelt is a is a um is a nobody. I'm like no. It comes in that whole Marine Corps mindset. The reason why I wanted to fight Miguel Pacheco because I truly believe he is the number one super featherweight in the world. I give him that respect. He's earned it. He's earned. He's earned. It. He's earned everything he has now. And just it's just me as a fighter. Of course, you want to fight the best to be number one. So that's the whole reason behind the Pacheco fight. But if I can't get the Pacheco fight, of course, you know I want to fight guys like um, Leo Santa Cruz, um, Oscar Valdez. Um, just and and there's there's many there's, there's more out there. Um, even now, my name my name has even gotten mentioned with um Abner Mares. Um, surprisingly, um, in the last two days of Abner wants to and he wants a big fight. He wants a big he wants to come back and he wants a big fight at one thirty. So I'm open to that fight. But you and Abner Mares in San Diego, that would work, brother. That would work. Oh yeah, and 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 that's the you know, and that's what I love about the Marine Corps because I feel like I can fight, and I don't have to fight in New York. I can fight anywhere because mm-hmm. there's always gonna be a just not even Marine, but a military presence everywhere I go. Even if, like I said, um, my dream has always wanted to also fight not only in, in the Garden as a headliner, but you know, growing up, I watched Oscar De La Hoya and Shane Mosley go at it at, at the Stable Center. I would love to fight in, in the Stable Center, like you know, with with somebody like a uh, a uh, uh, Mares or oh, yeah. Santa Cruz. Even but but I but I would love to, I, would, I would love to um, fight on the West Coast more if I could. So I'm definitely open to those fights. Even even my boy, um, he's my Olympic team brother, my Olympic brother. Even Jojo Diaz um said that he say, wouldn't mind fighting fighting fight, fighting me as well. Um, but it it wouldn't be any bad blood. It would just be business. And at the end of the day, we still you know hug it out and embrace each other. But basically, any of the um the world champions out there, I have no issue stepping in and sharing the ring with them. Let's talk about after boxing. Coach Larry on Twitter, he just asked, what do you want to do after boxing? You're a smart guy. Uh, so he was just wondering, like, do you have any plans? Is that something you're even thinking about yet? Or are you just 100% oh, focused no, on the hey, For one, what's going on, Coach Larry? Hope you're doing well out there. But um, I'm glad you asked that. Um, it's not after boxing. Right now, I'm actually doing things during my boxing career. Right now, um, um, man, I'm actually uh, along with my partner Jerry from LA. Um, Jerry, aka J, we call him. Everybody calls him JC. Um, at Wildcard King on Instagram oh, okay. and Twitter. But we're actually working. Uh, we actually have our own thing called First First to Fight, and you know where that comes from. That's that's a Marine Corps thing. First to Fight Management. Yep. And we also work. We work. We also work alongside Sheer Sports in terms of managing fighters. And actually, we've been talking with Golden Boy Promotions in the last several months matter of fact even before this whole lockdown went down we actually we actually were going to go to golden boy to get some of our fighters either 
sign under them or an opportunity to fight on the cards for for um Golden Boy and Robert and Eric, you know, to look at our fighters. So um I'm already doing things now, even with my own career going, because um I don't wanna just like one day, okay, I'm done boxing, what do I do now? Like, no, um uh, if you're smart, you you know, you start you know, you start <laughs> laying 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 the groundwork down 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 now. So right now I'm um I'm actually working with, with um a few um prospects. I actually have a, a surprise that no one's gonna see coming. But um, all I can say is he was once at PBC, but he's ready for he's ready for a change. <laughs> so we've been talking to Golden Boy. We've been talking to Golden Boy about that. So right now we're just waiting for um for Golden Boy to open up their gates as well and um get the fight date so we can start making some fights happen. But that's one thing I'm doing. I I feel like as if I'm blessed with the opportunity, why not you know share your blessings with everyone else around you? So my thing is just to, um I'm just want to you know scout um talent. And give them the same opportunities that I was given, because you know a lot of there's a lot of talented fighters out there, but they don't have the you know the big backing, the big promoter behind them. So it's my you know this is my opportunity to get those guys in front of the, you know to get their foot in the door and to do their own thing. I'm not here to I'm not here to hog up the spotlight. I want to go out there, you know, and, and share you know my blessings with with the rest of the world. That's awesome, man. So we don't get we don't get a hint. We don't get like a breaking news hint as to who this fighter is. Do we get a weight class? Do we get anything? Or you can't reveal it yet, can you? Oh, um, let me say, <laughs> I, 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 I say, I say, it's between the weights of super middleweight and cruiserweight. <laughs> we're in, we're in that <laughs> <Okay>. ballpark. <laughs> we're right. in that ballpark, but, but um, he, he's definitely, he definitely, um, he's definitely hungry. He, he wants to get back in the ring, and he, and he like same thing when I went to top rank. It was never, it was never bad blood with Al Heyman. I still got love for Al Heyman and PBC. I just needed a different scenario and a different change, and he, and he wants to do the same thing as well. So we're definitely, um, you know, um, Golden Boy is definitely interested. Which was so, um, um, Top Ring was also interested, but you know, like I said, I love, I love um, um, calling everybody, but you know, sometimes call call will bust my balls, or you know, like I'm learning. Balls. But I'm grateful because I'm learning how to negotiate. I'm learning to negotiate in process in terms of getting you know fighters where they need to be at. I, I also spoke with Eddie Hearn. Um, before this whole uh, epidemic went down as well. So that's one thing about me. I, I'm willing to work with everybody and anyone out there. You know, That's why I don't burn bridges because you just may ne- never know what, what, uh, who you may need down the line. I think I have an idea who it might be, but I'm going to be quiet. I'm right sure now. you do. I'm, 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 sure I'm going to be do. quiet right now, my man, <laughs> but I think I know. Uh, do you want? Are, are you cool to take a couple calls or do you got to bounce? Sure, sure, sure. Let's, let's take a call here. Um you guys, if you got any questions for the champ, get on the, get on the phone line right now. But uh, real quick, we'll jump to if my phone line will pick up here. What's going on? Five one two, five one two. You're out of the neutral oh, corner. Go. Oh, what's up, Mike? How you doing today? Doing well. Uh, and it's a pleasure to speak to you, Jamel. Oh, um, you're a really good fighter. I respect you and all that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I I just have one question for the both of you, and I'll probably bounce because I'm sure plenty of other people have questions for you guys as well. But I read an article on boxing scene the other day that the sport itself just doesn't really attract, you know, the young people, you know, like Gen Z or, you know, the younger side of millennials. You know, why is that? Is Is there like a specific reason or... Um, I, I, I think, I think, in my own opinion, I can't really, 
say that, that that I've seen much of that because if you look at guys like um, let's just say like um Javante Davis, um, I always see him like even with the crazy stuff that he may do behind the scenes, he always seems to attract a lot of the younger generation, um, especially especially from the um the the, the urban world as well. So and I, and there's other fighters. I mean, look at the um look at Ryan Garcia. As a matter of fact, Ryan Garcia, another one. He, he's attracting. He attracts a lot of the um. Not just younger, but a lot of um, casual um, fans as well. So, I think it, it all it just all pertains, you know, who who you know, who basically fits fits that mold in terms of not just boxing, but just that like that that age that age group and things like that. Yeah, I think that's too. a very great point. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you, no, Mike. no, no worries, bro. No worries. Uh, just to just to follow back on what Jamel said. One big difference between boxing and all the team sports is that the team sports have branding where, like, if you think basketball, you think NBA. When you think football, you think NFL. When you think boxing, boxing might be the only sport where the athletes are the brand. It's not the sport that's the brand. No one gives a damn if it's the WBC or WB this or WB that. You know, it's about the fighter. So, as Jamel said, Ryan Garcia, he's already a brand. He's built himself into a brand already, and most of his fans are young. Javante Davis, I was at his fight against Gamboa here in Atlanta, and it was a very young crowd. I would say the majority of the people in the audience were 35 and under, which, yeah, a lot of times, I'd say 30 and under, actually. They're in their 20s. And I go to a lot of fights, obviously, and usually it's a much older crowd than that. So the fight, the, the fighters have to build themselves up to be a brand, and I think that Maybe boxing's been a little slower than other sports to utilize social media to build brands. But now you're seeing some of these younger guys learn and figure that out. And, I mean, look at Ryan Garcia's Instagram. Look at Javante Davis. He trends whenever he fights or whenever he posts something online. Uh, So so it, it is changing a little bit. But it's about the fighters more so than, like, it's never going to be there's never going to be a, a brand name when you think boxing, like like I'm trying to think of a logo. That's the word. There's never going to be a logo, you think, when you think boxing or like a league. You're going to think fighters. Floyd Mayweather is a right. brand. Manny Pacquiao, brand. So that's just what oh, it is. I mean, Jamel, do you, do you agree with what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Even in my situation, like my most of, you know, most of my audience pertains to the military. And, right. I, and I have no right. problem with that. That's just, that just, that just, you know who I attract from, from being the brand that I put out there. You know, the, I always represent the Marine Corps. I always show love to veterans. So, of course, my brand attracts more of the military and military families. Yeah, one thing I noticed... Oh, I see, you, I see. I was just going to say, uh, one thing I noticed is you're you're active on social. And your wife's on social now. Uh, you know, you guys, I've seen you go out a little bit on Twitter. <laughs> I've seen you're yeah, very exactly. active on like, Facebook. <laughs> But that's endearing to fans, and you're also like you actually chat with fans on Twitter. You actually follow some of your fans. Like, I, I think if more fighters did that and reached out a little bit more, like what you're doing, I think it would help their branding. So yeah, of course. Oh yeah, of course. So oh, you guys bring up very good points. Uh, I mean, I totally forgot about Ryan Garcia. I mean, he has <laughs> yeah. like over what like millions of followers on social media. I, that article. I think uh, probably forgot to mention him as well, but I I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. If you were about to say something, no, no, no. I was just going to say if, if you had another question, go ahead. 
Well, yeah. Also, I mean, I've heard, I've had multiple friends and family tell me that boxing's a boomer sport. I, I highly disagree <laughs> with that. I went to the guards of the uh, the Garcia Vargas card in Frisco, like almost two months, like a little more than two months ago. There are plenty of young people there, around around the age groups of like eighteen to thirty five or even older. So I wouldn't. It's definitely not a boomer sport. I think it's just that boxing is just a niche sport. Yeah. And in boxing, too, like, and I've talked about this in plenty of videos and I've written about this. It's more than other sports. And Jamel, tell me if you agree with this, but like, it feels to me that boxing is a sport that's passed down. Like, your father teaches you about it, his father taught him about it. Maybe your dad fought, maybe your uncle fought, maybe your grandpa fought, whatever it is, but it seems to be passed down through generations. And it's, oh yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I definitely agree. With, definitely, I, I was going. I, I I was actually thinking that because I'm like, you know, boxing been around for over a hundred years, and like, right. but it's like every generation has they own had their own crowd that, that you know, and they own they actually their own fan base and, and things of that nature. But you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it keeps the sport alive. But yeah, definitely. Um, like I, I can argue with my um, father and uncles about their generation compared to my generation. But the the point is. There's fans in each one of those generations, so I think boxing is going to continue to carry on as, as, as long as it thrives. As long as the best fight, the uh, best. definitely. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think there's. Uh, sorry, champ. I didn't mean to interrupt you like that. Very fine. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't think the best fight, best don't really fight the best that much. I mean, we've gotten like Canelo, Golovkin, and Fury and Wilder, but I mean. I mean, we haven't gotten any fights like I don't know uh, Santa Cruz and uh, oh, and Gary Russell. I'm sure, there's still some people want to see that. Or heck, even Khan and Kell Brook. I'm sure there's some diehard, diehard UK fans that are willing to die just to see that. Although no one really cares about that fight anymore. That fight will happen when they're like 45. <laughs> oh man, that's a boxing. Like we don't. I don't want to see any more in situations where basically like how people end up complaining afterwards with the Pacquiao Mayweather fight like that. We don't want to see like, we want to see the Spence Crawford fight. We want, yeah, we want to, yeah. we want to see, um, you know, even like for me personally, just as a fan, I, I want to see the, you know, Jamal Charlo, um, Demetrius Andrade fight. Yo, I, want, I want to see, you know, just every way. Cause there's, there's too many good fights in each, in each one of these weight classes to be passed up and, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, like the biggest problem right now is it used to kind of be like a two-way street. It was Showtime and HBO. Now it's a three-way street because now it's ESPN, it's Fox, it's the Zone, and the sanctioning organizations got smart. When it was two with a two-way street, they would have a titleist and an interim titleist. Now that it's a three-way street, they'll have a super champion, a champion, an interim champion. That way they can have their their fangs in all three platforms. I'm seeing more and more of that. And, you know, the more and more I talk about that, honestly, though, the less my phone rings. Uh, the WBC stopped uh, inviting me to their <laughs> luncheons and all that shit. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you got any more questions for us? Um, I think that's it, though. But, I mean, you can become a champion by, you know, getting an email from the WBC. So, I mean, I think anyone yeah, can be a champion nowadays. <laughs> But anyways, um, I think that's... Well, you're talking, that's you're talking to one who earned it in the ring. There's, there's no email champion. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. I, I, mean, yeah, you're, I mean, you definitely earned, earned that belt for sure, man. Thank you, thank you. Right, we anyways, appreciate I think it, that's bro. All, 
Uh, oh, sorry. Any, that's all I really have. And, uh, you know, I'll be looking forward to your next fight, Jamel. And I think you can definitely beat Miguel Burchell. I think you're definitely that guy, man. I mean, I know Burchell's a monster, but I think you got the skill sets to beat him. So I'll also be looking forward to that as well. I pleasure to talk to both of you. You guys have a good day. All right, thanks, And I second that. You know, I've said, Jamel, that your skill set's a problem for everybody in that division. I know that there's other people in the media that don't agree with me, but I think. Yeah, you're, but you're, you know, it's just the thing. I'm very, I'm very realistic to, my, to myself. Like I know Miguel has that dynamite in both hands. Like that's the thing. Like, I got, I, I love boxing. I, I watch everything. So I'm like, the problem is, and I've heard this from um, people that even. That even back him because um I, when I went down to the Fury Wilder two um the weigh in you know I ran into some people that that that's uh, very close to him and it's really, it was really respectful but I was pretty much told that it's not so much of him at times as much of it's his um his handlers because yes like I said styles make the styles make fights and it's just that my style doesn't fit well with his because I'm not stupid I'm not gonna sit there and bang with him. That, that'll be your early night, and I will end up with a losing end. And, I, and that's just being realistic. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I would have to, you know, I, will, I would like to box and move, but they don't want that. They don't. And so, of course, you know how boxing goes. Instead of, instead of calling, they're calling the two signs, they'll say, oh, that's just boring. Oh, that style is boring. Oh, he, he doesn't, he's not an entertaining fighter. So that's, that's the whole thing for them to get away from the fight. But that, like I said, um, Yeah, people overuse um, that word. Uh, Boring. Yeah, they definitely do. It, there's a difference between boxing with skill and turning somebody and staying in the center of the ring and using lateral movement. And then there's running. It's two very right. different things. And people mistake the two of them. They blur them together way too often. What you did against yep. Ito was boxing. That was touching a dude, turning him, keeping him off balance, keeping him frustrated all night long. That's not boring. That's boxing. That's skillful. That's what you're supposed to do. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Oh, no, we don't get into that, but we know. We know. <laughs> but you know what? I'm um, I'm looking here at all my questions. You know, we got through everything. Um, I don't think we don't have anybody else on the lines right now. I told everyone to hold off, and I guess they're holding off too long. But I've already kept you for 40 minutes, champ. Um, I'll let you go here. But before I do that, let everyone know where they could follow you on social media. Um, you, you know, like I said, Mike, as always, an honor speaking with you, man. You've always been great since day one, and you're a Marine, so I, you, you know, got to got to support your brothers. That's right, brothers. that's right, baby. But um, <laughs> you know, if anybody who's listening wants to, you know, wants, to, wants any more, actually, more questions, like Mike pointed out earlier, I do respond. So just, you can find me on Twitter, or Instagram at Jamel Herring. I even I even have chit chats with the fans, the fans as well, and I actually got them to become my fans. So. <laughs> It all it, it all works out. I'm a people person first, and like I said, I just love you know what I do. But more importantly, I love the people who who give me the same love and respect. Well, champ, on that note, keep doing what you're doing. Take care of the of your wife and those kids, and uh, good luck in camp coming up. And I hope to see you in the ring soon. Thank you, brother. Take care of yourself out there too. You Number too. Sir. Have a good one. All right, guys, Jamel. Semperfy Herring, just one of my favorite people in all of boxing, just an awesome individual. And the first time I actually spoke with him when I did uh, that article for Ring Magazine, I'm trying to think, I think it was, I can't remember what month, but it was last year. Instantly, just the second I started talking to him, we just hit it off. Because you could just tell he's just a good human being. He's just a good person. 
beyond being a good fighter. And yes, he is a former Marine to me being a former Marine. There is that connection. So, you know, I'm already going to like him because of that. But he's just a good dude. And um, I remember, like, we were supposed to talk for 20 minutes. We ended up talking for way over an hour. I want to say it was like an hour and a half. And most of the interview was just bullshitting, just talking about stuff. You know, not even stuff I used in my article. So there's just certain guys that I I meet in this business where uh, instantly you're like, oh, yeah, I could have a beer with that dude. Forget boxing. I could just, I could hang out. I'd be friends with that dude without boxing. Jamel's just one of those guys. He's just a good person. And, yes, serving his country, doing what he did for this country, and then coming here and winning a championship, bringing a title to this country. Come on, man. That's awesome. If you're a patriotic uh, American, what more could you ask for from a fellow American? And if you're a, a good a boxing fan, what more could you ask for from a fighter? This dude stays in shape year round. He's about to go to a camp Monday. He doesn't even have a fight scheduled. and He's going to go do a mini camp. The last guy I can think of who did that is Gennady Triple G Golovkin a few years back. So last time I checked, Things turned out pretty well for Triple G. Let's go to the phone lines, guys. Uh, okay, let's go to... Oh, you guys should have called a few minutes ago. You could have talked to Jamel. Uh, 773, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Yeah, I was going to call in, but I didn't want to... Um, I had something to talk about other than Jamel, so I didn't want to... Oh, okay. The line with no worries. Um, Jamel, I wanted to talk about Bob Mira because I'm wondering if you heard his statement regarding... Um, UFC reopening, they're going to have a, a card this weekend. And what did uh, Barbarian say? He said, oh, it's, it's bad for sports and very irresponsible. He called Dana White. He said uh, he called him a cowboy or it's cowboy behavior. And that's relevant to what I'm about to say. But I'm wondering if you heard that statement. I, I didn't hear that particular statement, but Bob Arum has had a massive hard-on for Dana White for years. Let me be clear about something. Uh, there's a lot of things. Like, I don't know much about MMA, but I do know a little something about Dana White. And there's a lot of things I know about that dude off the record. He's kind of a shady guy. He he pulled a lot of stunts for a lot of years. The people that know about those things don't really like him. But Bob Arum just has a hard on for the guy. He's just never liked him. And so any chance Bob Arum gets to say something shitty about the guy, he does. So I, I take that with a puff of smoke, which Grandpa Bob does a lot of that so just i wouldn't put yeah, anything that, into that brother yeah well the thing is bob barrow he's trying to get on his moral high ground oh it's bad for sports remember that the um the government had to come and tell him to give marvin Hagler a title shot because he was such a scumbag he wouldn't give the fighter a title shot and he had to freaking get served and make him do that so he said someone else is bad for sports He's a complete hypocrite. Not to mention, if you remember what he called MMA fans, UFC fans, about five, six years ago, he said, UFC fans are a bunch of skinhead white guys <laughs> who like to roll around like homosexuals. <laughs> and then he's bragging about how boxing is, um, oh, it's real ethnic. There's a lot of Hispanics and African Americans, and there's uh, Jewish promoters. And he's like, oh, okay, so I guess Jews aren't white now. I guess uh, Barbarum isn't isn't white he's jewish how convenient i guess uh that that's a little exposing going on admitting that but it's just bob barham and then he said what else did he say about donald trump supporters he said oh they're a bunch of white guys who are afraid that um the country won't be majority white anymore this is the kind of stuff bob barham says 
and he wants to get on this high horse act like he has a moral high ground. That dude is a senile old Jew. I'm going to stop you right there. I don't give a damn what the guy's religion is, all right? We don't need to mention that. That has nothing to do with, you know, so let's, let's, not, let's not talk about that. If you don't like Bob Arum's opinions, that's fine. I don't agree with a lot of things Bob Arum says. I agree with a lot of things he says. But let's not get into the guy's heritage. Last time I checked, Jewish people, it's not a race. It's a culture. But that's a whole other discussion, and I've done too many videos like that recently. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, he's, also, he's, an ethnic, it's also an ethnic group. There's Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardi right, Jews. Right, but, but so what? I, they're, they're Caucasian, white, whatever. I, I have heard the things Bob Arum said about MMA fans in the past. There are demographic differences. I've seen the trending analysis and the numbers, and there are different demographic trends with the fan bases of MMA and Boxing and MMA does a much better job appealing to mainstream America, middle America, whatever you want to call it. Uh, boxing does appeal more to the immigrant fan bases or immigrant populations, I should say, um, and, and ethnic populations. So there are some, there is some difference there. However, what Bob Arum said about MMA, that in the fans, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And for him to say that and for no one to challenge him on that, yeah, I agree. That That's not cool. But, um, you know, look, he's not the only promoter that has said absolutely ridiculous things and contradicted himself a hundred million times. Every other promoter does it, including the MMA promoter, uh, Dana White. So, look, I'm not going to worry that much about the crazy shit crazy Grandpa Bob says. He's in his 80s. He's an old man. He's kind of at the age where he doesn't give a fuck anymore what anyone thinks. And he's like your crazy great-grandpa that's just going to say whatever the hell he wants to say, and everyone just kind of laughs it off. As long as he delivers good fights and puts, you know, the right fights on, I don't really give a shit. Um, now, if, if I heard him cross the line, if he said something that I heard cross the line, I would absolutely call him out on that. I was not around whenever he said what he said about MMA fans. If I was and I heard that, I would have said, hey, man, come on. I know guys who watch MMA uh, that are that are not white skin heads. I don't know. I don't know what it has to do with anything, though. Well, who cares if the base is all white dudes? They're all white fighters. What does it have to do with anything? I mean, right? But you're the one who brought up. You go to the majority up, of boxing events, and you're, you're the, the one who brought up Bob Arum's religion. You know, so I at know the same just, time, you just contradicted yourself, my man. So you well, know, you're, you're he, walking the fine quick, line here. my point of I know, real quick. The reason I brought it up because he brought it up. Um, he brought up this is not the first time he has he's white guys and oh skinhead white guys. I mean, remember Kelly Pavlik, his beef with Kelly Pavlik. I don't know what it is, what it is with this dude has against um, white guys, but he's well, a racist. Well, let, let me okay. I, I think been like that for a long time. I think Bob Arum is politically on the far left, so there is except when it comes to Israel. Dude, all right, we got to stop this call, bro, because YouTube's about to shut down my channel. I mean, dude, I don't give a shit about Israel and, 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 or talking about it. I'm not, I don't want, someone's going to take that the wrong way. I don't want to talk about that stuff on the show. I just do not want to talk about that. All right. Um, all I'm saying is he's on the far left, and that's fine. I don't give a shit what your political ideology is, but he's very clearly of that ideology, and he's going to say things that go against the other ideology. 
Is it bombastic? Is it a little extreme at times? I think so, because I'm a moderate. I'm a classical liberal moderate. So when I hear either extreme talk crazy, that shit doesn't work for me. But look, if you don't uh, like if you don't like what Bob Arum says, don't listen to him, man. Don't listen. I to know, him. but I just wish I wish the media would just call him out on it because he seems to get away with these statements year after year because it goes it goes. It's not just like um oh a couple of years ago. It's it's year after year he's making these ridiculous racist statements, and then he wants to hide behind um being a progressive and a fighting for the little guy. Well, he's friends with um, Sheldon Adelson, a Zionist billionaire who funds the apartheid state of Israel. He's a complete hypocrite, and no one wants to call him out on it because it's a tupsy, touchy subject. But he can sit there and shit on white guys and Trump supporters and this and that. Let's, ha- let's have some media hold these people accountable. This isn't some small-time guy. This is a very powerful, one of, probably the most powerful guy in boxing saying stuff like that. Well, it's he's not, not right. Look. All right, I, I, I gotta let you go, man. I appreciate your call. All right, I appreciate your call, but we gotta, I gotta move on. All right, but let me just say okay. this. Let me just, let me just address what this guy's saying here. There are people in boxing that have, and really all of life, that have extremist viewpoints on whether it's to the left, to the right, whatever. They have the right to have their opinions. They have the right to think what they think. If I'm in the presence of somebody that says something ridiculous or it happens on my watch, if you will, like recently Devin Haney said some stuff that really offended and hurt people, uh, and I addressed it. But what Bob Arum said about MMA fans, that was like, oh, that might have been 10 years ago. I wasn't around when he said that. I really don't give a shit what the guy says. I think the caller you know, clearly had issues with it, but the caller clearly had his own biases because he brought up certain things that were really irrelevant. So, look, man, guys, everyone calm the hell down. Um, if I was doing an interview with Grandpa Bob and he said some ridiculously, you know, radical statement, I'd just be like, oh, let's back that up. And, you know, but if you expect uh, someone to just silence Bob Arum because he has some kind of crazy political views or I won't even say he has crazy political views. OK, let's not even say that. Bob Arum says things that are. He uses blanket statements to describe people. How about that? That's, you know, that's what I should have said to the caller. Bob Arum made blanket statements about MMA fans, about certain segments of the population, people who vote a certain way. And that's unfair. And that's wrong. And if I were in his presence, I would tell him how I feel. I'd say, dude, you shouldn't use a blanket statement to describe all of these people. There may be a kernel of truth to what you're saying, a kernel of truth, but you're polarizing it and making it extreme by making a blanket statement out of it. We should never do that. There is nuance to everything, ladies and gentlemen. There is an exception to every rule. Somewhere out there, there is a huge midget. Trust me. Okay. All right. Let's get to another call. Hopefully this call is a little more comfortable. Okay. <laughs> that one was tough. Uh, let's see. Let's click on this call here. 353, you're on the neutral corner. Go. A huge midget. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, not much. Not much. If you haven't hit the like button, I promote That's the, right, baby. Of the channel. Hit the like button. Oh. <laughs> that, that caught me off. Great. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> huge, huge, huge <laughs> yeah, hey, so okay. I'm a I'm a huge midget, bro. I'm a huge midget. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. Oh, right. So, um, right. So over the last, like, I didn't get in on time for for Jamel. So, ah, but I'll go into something else. So over the last couple of weeks or a few days, really, Fury, Joshua, the talks and everything have been building up and all of this, and fans are getting super excited. I just want to know, are you super excited? Because I'm not. I'm really <laughs> no. not because I know that this is the start of a marination period. Um, yeah. I know full well that point ain't happening this year. I, I, I don't believe it'll take place next year. I think by October of this year, Eddie Hearn's going to come out with his patented statement of uh, the fight will take place next year. Yeah, That's I think, what I personally think. If you look at just the way boxing business 101 works, okay, Behind the scenes right now, everyone's kind of, the wheels are churning. They're trying to put together the game plan over the next three to six months. And because they're starting to kind of filter all that out, they got to put some rumors out there to get people talking. So people are talking now about this scenario, that scenario, to get the the Twitter hashtags going and all that traffic going so that when they do drop something in July, in August, that's going to be a club-level show with no crowd, people watch it. That's the hope. I, I think they're just getting people talking, man. There is absolutely no fucking plan to get Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury fighting anytime soon. Ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to ask you this. What do you think the fans can expect when boxing returns? Because from my point of view, I think we're going to have a lot of mandatories pushed back. We're going to have a lot of fights that we were going to have pushed back. We may have one or two big fights in the year. We may have towards the end of the year, possibly a Fury Wilder or something. Um, we'll have a maybe a white pay-per-view against Pavekin right. behind closed doors, but won't be in an arena. Um, I don't think we're ever, because of the lockdown, I don't think we're ever going to get Lomachenko versus Tiafimo. Uh, I don't think Casemiro Nui is going to happen. What do you think, Mike? I'm right there with you. Uh, so, you know, I... And I've been pretty consistent about this because people have been asking that, me that, you know, since since March. And the people that I talk to, the commission officials I talk to, the promoters I've talked to, have all kind of said the same thing. Uh, some of it, you know, hey, keep this off the record for me. You can say this, can't say that type of thing. But um, we're going to get boxing back. Boxing will be back. But all the plans and the strategies and everything that everybody had mapped out for 2020 into 2021 basically gets pushed back. And... If you think about it, there's the two big dates in boxing. We just had one, right, this past weekend. So that everything is kind of the first half of the year is structured around that date. And then the second half of the year is structured around Mexican Independence Day, at least here in the United States. That's the way everything's structured. There's a plan to, you know, a before, during, and after for those dates. We already lost Cinco de that's that's blown up. Are we going to get Mexican Independence Day? We don't know yet because it depends on... Can, if you were a promoter and you had to pay two yeah. guys, you know, ten million dollars each, and you put a fight in Vegas, are you confident? Even if, let's say, Vegas opens up, MGM Resorts open up uh, September first, are you confident that fifteen thousand no. people are going to show up to the MGM no. and buy tickets? I'm not. No, no. One because of uh, one because of the lockdown. Two because of like trepidation to do with everything to do with the illness. And three, and most importantly. I think you'll agree with me. A lot of people have lost jobs. Yeah. A lot of people don't have money and they're watching poor screens. There's not going to be a great deal of money coming back. It's going to be a rough time and we're going to have to see fighters. I think fighters need to take poor, uh, poor cuts. I personally like, 
Leo Santa Cruz has been way overpaid for a long time for an absolute no hopers. Do you know what I mean? A million dollar payday is fighting yeah. absolute shit. Yeah. To put it bluntly, sorry for swearing. No, hey, that's so, what we're already on this show. We had some guy, you know, this. I'm, I'm sure this video is going to get demonetized by YouTube because of the last caller. <laughs> so uh, I saw a hey, lot of you guys on the hey, chat yeah. were saying, hang up on that dude. I honestly, you know, instead of just hanging up on him, I kind of wanted to hear what he had to say. I was genuinely curious of where his thought process was. I could, it, But whatever. I, I don't want to harp on that call. But, um, yeah, dude, it, look, 2020 is fucked. It's fucked. So best case scenario, like you said, best case scenario is that October, November, December, somewhere in there, we start, we get a few big fights because by then the market, we will have had a couple of market samplers, market testings, and promoters will be confident enough to put on a big fight at Staples Center, at Madison Square Garden, whatever it is. That's the best we can hope for. If not, it's just it's all going to get pushed to next year, all the big fights. Well, I think my biggest hope for the year, the biggest event I can see taking place, like, isn't even in America. It's just not, it, like, this is for the hardcore fans. I personally think we still have an opportunity to see um, Ioka versus Tanaka on Japanese New Year. Yeah. I think that's yeah. still a high probability. Yeah, for the boxing so nerds, that, that might be for. the fight of the year, man. You know, that's that's the one I'm praying on because the rest of them, Lomachenko, Tia, that's out the window. I'm as starting far, to I'm, I'm starting to agree with you on that. I'm starting to think like if they can't pull that off by March of next year or something, I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that brought a little bit of normality back. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Have a good one, man. All right, we got one more call here, guys. Let's take one more call, then we'll wrap it up. Okay, 317, you're on the neutral corner. Go. <laughs> well, 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 what we got here. Uh, so, Michael Montero, huh? Yes. <laughs> Jack, what's up? <laughs> what's up, man? <laughs> uh, no, I just came in the podcast, and you I, like you were saying, oh, I got to keep this guy on the call. I don't want to like have you rehash on it, but was this guy like coming in angry at you? No, he was angry at Bob Arum. <laughs> he was really angry. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. Okay, if you didn't hear that call, go back and look. I'm sure someone's going to take that clip, and it's going to be all over social media this week. Uh, it's at least going to be on Twitter. But, look, it, he did not like this caller, does not like Bob Arum. And there's a lot of people out there who don't like Bob Arum, just like there's a lot of people out there who don't like Al Heyman or Eddie Hearn, whatever. But he made it kind of a cultural Thing, and that's where it got a little uncomfortable because um, that just should have nothing to do with it. Ooh, Trent, you got you got to point out that dude in the chat real quick. You know you got to. Oh, super chat pledge from Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. Awesome, bro. He says, uh, "Yo, man, look forward to your podcast so much. Have you heard of UK Olympian one fifty two Pat McCormick? He beat the biggest Gary Russell brother in the World Series of Boxing. Damn, okay." He's based on Azerbaijani-based Cuban. He is a UK 2021 Olympian. What are your thoughts on Madrim of Charlo? Dude, I don't know much about uh, Pat McCormick. I'll have to check him out. Because if he's dropping dudes in Uzbek, one of the Russell brothers, that's legit. So I'll check him out. Thank you very much. I'll definitely look him up and um, get back to you on that. I'm sad to say I have not seen him. Um, and then Madrim of Charlo. 
Vajramov needs one or two more fights of seasoning, but in 12 months, yeah, he'll probably be ready to knock out Charlo. There's just a lot more there. There's a lot more substance. As long as he can catch, I think he's going to be the goods. Thank you. Thanks again for the super chat, Trent. All right, Jack, back to you, brother. All right. I, I think I know. I'm not trying to get back on that call, but I think I know what what he mentioned about Bob Barham, the white head. <laughs> just yeah. in that white guys. That was, Look, there's that this, was the there's this weird thing. political thing, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's just weird to me. Like, uh, I, Bob Arum called basically MMA fans racist, like skinhead Nazi guys, which obviously <laughs> is a ridiculous statement. I don't watch MMA. Are there more white fans in MMA than in boxing? Yeah, that's, that's just a fact. That's the demographics of the sport. But does that mean they're racist or skinhead? Like, that's a ridiculous statement. So Bob Aaron, when he said that, that was fucking idiotic. That was stupid and could not be defended. I don't know anybody in the boxing world that took that, though, and said, yeah, he's right. Bob Aram's right. Like, I don't know one person in boxing that took that and made, like, it's not like a bunch of YouTube videos were made. Because you know now, Jack, anytime anyone in boxing says something, every boxing channel on YouTube has to make a video about it. I didn't see yeah. any, anybody in boxing saying, yeah, he's right. Yeah, MMA fans are skinhead white. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, nobody defended that. Bob Arab, look, I, I love Bob Arab for what he's done for the sport. But he says a lot of ridiculously stupid shit. And just about everyone in boxing would say would agree with that. But guess what? All promoters do. Some more than others. But all promoters do. And he's a crazy old man and he smokes pot every day. Let him be a crazy old man who smokes pot every day. Let him enjoy his life. <laughs> no, I, I think it, okay. I'm not gonna, you know, try and keep you on that topic. But I think it was uh, hilarious when he said that. But I uploaded a video on my channel today. Not trying to put my thing in, but ever since I saw that video, of James Kirkland sparring, like man, that that absolutely made me sick. Like, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Him just unnecessarily yeah. beating up a spark partner. Yeah. Man, let me check you something. So there's this, uh, there's this. I, I don't think you remember this guy. His name's like. Uh, I can't remember. He's like a champ, a light, a former light heavyweight champion uh, from Indiana, and he was in uh, Le- so Layman, my trainer, right? Layman Brewster. For any of you that didn't know, um, you know, Layman grew up in the gym. I, I don't know. Sorry, I'm kind of you know nervous because I'm in you know uh, a lot of people right now, so I'm kind of like I, I, I don't know. But uh, what was I about to say? Uh, so Layman got really pissed at uh, this. I can't, I can't remember his name. I'm trying to remember, but it doesn't matter. So he was saying to these two guys in the gym who were sparring, he's saying, uh, uh, brawl it out, brawl it out, brawl it out. And uh, Layman straight up said, and I've never seen a man before, he said, no, fuck that. That's, this is my gym. We don't do that shit here. Fuck that. That's my gym. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it was so good to see, like, uh, Layman uh, stand up to that. But on my channel, I posted a video of showing James Kirkland sparring, and then I show him getting knocked out by Canelo. So, man, just that video just made me sick. Like, what, yeah, what are your thoughts not, on that video? It, it, look, that that goes down to leadership. That's I, I put that more on Ann Wolf than James Kirkland. I mean, James Kirkland was a douche for doing what he did. But I've seen plenty of fighters. There was a Russian guy last year who post who brutally knocked out a guy in sparring. I can't remember who it was. And he posted a video on Twitter of just the dude laying there on the canvas, and nobody went up to him and helped him. And he was sitting there for a minute. Knocked the just completely knocked unconscious. So, you know, a lot of fighters do douchey shit. 
But Layman did the right thing in that situation because if it's his gym and he sees that shit, he quickly put an end to it. And that's what Ann Wolf should have did. So I, that whole situation with James Kirkland, the way he sparred, and by the way, that video, that ain't nothing. I've heard all kinds of shit. I can't even say on the record about what was going on in that gym. That's on her. Uh, that's just disgusting. And what was crazy is HBO, because of the agenda at HBO, uh, really I just kind of glanced over all that. They never showed any of that sparring. They they showed up in training. But they kind of uh, just pretended, they just kind of put their fingers in their ears and went, la, 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 la. They did, just pretended that shit never happened. So, um, yeah, I don't know, dude. That's, that's on the people running the gym. And that kind of shit happens way too much. You've seen the videos on Facebook and shit of, like, kids getting punched in the face, like, standing against the wall, and a trainer's just punching them in the face. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. That's not helping anybody. You're not learning. Well, unless you're facing Andre Ward and you get a little, uh, you know, uh, ball conditioning, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that always works. All right, great show, Mike. I got to head out. Uh, someone, my aunt's actually FaceTiming me, and I don't know why, but, you know, I got to answer this. All right, well, uh, do, you do what you got to do, my man. <laughs> all right. Yeah, all right, man. Talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye. Uh, Steve, one of you guys in the chat was was saying that tr- – saying that you're talking about that one caller, and that one of you guys was bringing up the LDBC, and it's okay for the LDBC to be racist, but this caller can't say something controversial. Look, man, I think all of it's stupid, and you know that, so you shouldn't be making that comment in the chat. I call all that shit out, okay? I don't want any of that shit on my channel. Now, I will talk about politics, race, ethnicity. I'll talk about those things as it uh, is a part of the sport and, of course, the general human condition. And there are times where it comes up and I need to address it. But I address it in a moderate, objective, logic, fact-based way. For someone to just call and start saying some of the things that dude said, that's no better than LDBC shit, okay? I don't want any of that here. If someone has an opinion, I will let them express their opinion. Just because I let somebody express their opinion on the show doesn't necessarily mean I agree with it, all right? But in one sense, I'm glad that dude called. I am glad he called because he expressed a viewpoint that I don't necessarily agree with. Most of you watching this clearly didn't agree with from what I see in the chat. But sometimes you need to hear from somebody with a different viewpoint. And for the record... If any of those LDBC guys wanted to call in anytime, even if they hate my guts and want to call and talk about something and debate something, as long as they don't get disrespectful with me, we can do it. That's why I have phone lines. I don't hide my phone number. It's right behind me. Anybody can call anytime, whether you share my point of view on something or it's completely opposite, whether you're a fan of my work or you can't fucking stand me and hope a bus would plow into me and kill me. I want to hear from all of you. So get on the phones and call. As long as you don't cross a line with me personally, any opinion is up for grabs. There's certain subjects, though, where you really got to watch what the hell you say. Okay? This is 2020, ladies and gentlemen. All right. You know what? I lied. We got one more caller. We're going to make this quick, and then we're going to wrap up the show. 818, you're on the neutral corner. Go. What up, Mike? This is Carlos from L.A. What's up, Carlos? How you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good, man. Interesting calls today. Oh, yeah. So, you know what? I just wanted, <laughs> wanted to bring up two two topics, and it's kind of like they both, they're kind of similar. Um, how do you think this whole 
shutdown of boxing or the whole nation, um, how is it going to affect fighters like Virgil Ortiz and, uh, what is it, uh, Ino Uwe? They had really good momentum coming in, and it yeah. seemed like their fighter, they, they were progressing and, and starting to fight better, better um, opponents. As far as you know, he's been doing it for a while now. But uh, Virgil Ortiz specifically, he was he was he had pretty good momentum and he was elevating himself. And 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 at 147, do you think they face? He's going to face a a, a a contender or somebody in the ranks? You know, that's a really year? good question, man. Uh, you know, really, the whole sport had a lot of momentum, man. Early this year, if you think about, we had a pretty good year last year, and then with that Fury Wilder rematch that really like transcended and like it was, it went really, really well. And then that Garcia Vargas card in Dallas was a really good card right after that. So like, I I just feel like we had all this momentum and we were very likely going to see Virgil Ortiz fight a top 10 fighter by the end of this year, or at least the top 15 level welterweight. We were probably going to see, well, we were going to see in a way come to Las Vegas, right. And fight in Vegas. We had all these great things planned, and it's just, dude, it just all blew up. So, look, Virgil Ortiz yeah. will fight at some point this year. Naoya Inouye will fight at some point this year. Is it going to be a top name? I, I don't know about that. I just don't know. I, with most of yeah. these guys, it's going to be kind of a gimme fight. I, I Sadly, I think not all of them, but some of these guys are going to come back and kind of have, have a gimme fight because think about it, dude, for a lot of these guys, man, it's going to be a one-year layoff, basically, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't even mind seeing, like, the lower level, like, I mean, like, rank 10 to 20 fighters facing each other just, I mean, just to actually, like, see good fights, you know? Not, no no easy fights, no tune-up fights, just, you know, 10 to 20 fighters that we know probably aren't going to become champions, just seeing them go at it. I, I feel like those are some of the best uh, fights at times. Yeah, sometimes you get guys who are, like, just under that, like, championship level. You know, and when they fight each other, you get really, really great matchups. Or you get guys that are a little bit past their best, you know, and you get a really good matchup out of that. Guys like Jesse Vargas, Adrian Broner, they can maybe fit into that scenario depending on, you know, what fights turn out in the second half of this year. It's just too soon to see, dude, because, again, if it was just about putting on fights on television, that's not hard to do. All these promoters now are doing streaming and they understand the technology. They have like the networks in place to do that. It's you got to have ticket sales. Certain fighters yep. that are making certain pay scales, they got to have ticket sales. So you you know until we could get fans in the casinos and stuff, you're just not going to get those bigger fights. Yeah, agreed. All right, Mike. Thank you very much for getting me on the call there. All right, thanks a lot, brother. Have a good night, man. Likewise. Take care. All right. All right, good callers. Great show today. Awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed my guest, Jamel Semperfy Herring, and some of the crazy calls. That's what makes the show fun, man. Sometimes you got to have that stuff. Um, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> man, uh, I can't wait to see some of the blowback from that one call. That's going to be fun. All right, guys, uh, let's do it again next week, huh? Remember to spread the word about the show. Give it a thumbs up. Make sure you're following, you're liking, you're subscribing, you're dropping a rating, a review, all that good stuff. That helps me out tremendously. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves and each other. I'll see you at the fight.